Why did Jesus come? That's what we're talking about today. I could relate to that uh, dad with the uh, young girl in that video. <laughs> I've got a three-year-old daughter and yet she's in that age where she's asking that question, why, why, why? And I was also actually pondering as we were just leading up to coming up how as a young child I asked my mum or my dad, can't remember who, but yeah, why did Jesus die on the cross? So that was a question I had and um, to be honest with you, I didn't and still am learning about the answer to that. So what I'm going to tell you today is only going to be building on what you already know. It's only going to be adding, I can't give you that complete answer because <coughs> to be honest, it will take a thousand lifetimes and all of eternity for us to fully understand and appreciate why Jesus came. So today we're going to start off a series of three sermons over the next few weeks um, looking at um, the story of God or Christmas or as I like to call it. Uh, and hopefully this will be um, building on the truth of or establishing the truth for some people of what Christmas is about and who Jesus is and why he came. And today I'm going to focus on um, one particular aspect of why Jesus came. I can't cover off everything today. And really, if you look at the Bible, the Word of God, it all points to why He came. From Genesis at the beginning to Revelation at the end, it's a complete uh, story and it's all explaining why He came. So I'm just going to focus on some particular one particular aspect or a few particular aspects. So let's answer this question in three parts. First part is God's desire for us or for you is for to have a relationship. God's original plan, his original intention, his original desire was for us, his created beings, to have a relationship with him. So let's we'll discuss what it means to have a relationship with God. Second part we'll talk about is the big problem in the world, and that is sin. So what is this thing, sin, and why does it cause our relationship to be broken with God? Why did the relationship break down? And what is sin, and what is the issue with it? What is the consequence of it? And why do we need rescuing from sin? And why does the world need rescuing from sin? And finally, we'll look at Jesus and who he is as a saviour. What he did to restore that relationship back with God. What made it, motivated him to do that. So let's kick off with the starting point, God's desire for us. So this has already sort of been covered in the video that Dennis shared earlier about God's story, so I won't spend too much time on this, but really it started with two special people God created, Adam and Eve. They were in the Garden of Eden. They had everything given to them, um, everything they needed. They had a special relationship with God, their Heavenly Father. And 
it's important to note that they had free will. Just as you and I have free will, they had free will. So God put in a, a tree in that garden where they could have eat of and have eternal life. That was the tree of life. And they also had another tree in that garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We heard in the story that they disobeyed God. They chose to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And there was consequences as a result of that. God provided all their needs in the garden. They were, his, his, they were basically caretakers of that garden. They had the freedom to choose to love and obey God and the freedom to choose to disobey him. And unfortunately they chose to disobey him. They chose to choose their selfish desires. They chose to have ple take pleasure in eating of this tree and this fruit over loving and obeying God. And this, as a result of that, this, this sinful act, their nature was changed and every man and child and woman and girl and boy that's been born ever since has inherited this sinful nature. So what did Adam and Eve have in the garden? So one thing about having in, being in a relationship, and for anyone who's married, they will be able to understand this, but when you get married, you effectively, you as lay down your life for your spouse, you give yourself completely to them. And in doing so, God created it and designed it so that it would happen, be reciprocated, so your spouse would do the same for you, lay down their life for you, and in, out of this becomes this union where each person in the relationship shares of the, the blessing, the, the benefits, if you want to call it that, but really the blessing of each other is shared. It's mutual, it's joined together, it's union, it's one. And that's the same with... God, he wants this union with his creation. He wants this relationship, this marriage between his created people, us and himself. And he wants to share of himself, his love, his nature, his life with us. One thing that they had was access to God's presence. They had a relationship, they walked with God in the garden. In Genesis you can read that Eve heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they had this intimate relationship, they would spend time together and be in each other's, be in the presence of God. And they had freedom freedom from guilt, shame and condemnation. So Adam and Eve, you might know in the story, they were both all both naked, but they didn't have any shame. So they were totally exposed, not just in a physical sense, but in, a, in their soul and their spirit, completely exposed to God, but they felt no shame. They didn't have any awkwardness or any 
ill feeling about that. It's very important to note. So what, what changed for Adam and Eve after they disobeyed God? So the relationship was, there was a separation, there was a brokenness that came about. They had to leave the garden. They could no longer be in God's presence. They were separated from the tree of life. And their identity was changed as well, it shifted. They went from having a right relationship with God to um, a sinful one. And they had to work for their living. They had to strive to make ends meet and to survive. And the shame came in that was not there in the beginning. So, so what is sin? So sin is, effectively, it's in Hebrew, it's missing the mark. So if you think about a target, uh, you're shooting arrows at a target, effectively, if you're not hitting the bullseye, you've missed the mark. That is the same with sin. It's missing perfection. It's not, it's not uh, measuring up to God's standard. Now, God had a special relationship with people called the children of Israel. And he actually instituted through Moses a whole series of, of laws. And there were 613 of them. And there were 10 commandments. And if you violated one of those laws, then you were guilty. So just imagine having 613 laws on your fridge and you look at them each morning and, and go down the list, see how you go. But it says in James chapter 2, verse 10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Romans 3.20, Therefore by the deeds of the Lord no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So God effectively established these rules to expose um, the heart of man, which was sinful, that we couldn't ever m meet God's standard. It's perfection. And when Jesus came, he actually set an even higher standard. So he said, well, you've actually got all these laws, but even if you're meeting them and your motives were wrong, um, then you're still guilty. So, yeah, your heart is being examined by God. Your words are being examined by God. And so everything, as I said before, is exposed. Nothing is hidden from God. So everyone is born into sin, as I said before. Um, I think if you've ever had children, you would understand that children don't come out and they're not these perfectly good little people that just always are obedient, never are uh, doing anything wrong. 
Um, I mean, I've got a 10-month-old girl, and you can see the cheekiness and the attitude that they have, even from that young age. It's quite amazing that, you know, <laughs> you just go, wow, okay, that's the nature we were born with. And it's, uh, it's ingrained in everyone from a very young age. Now, this is important that all sin, and I've just put in bracket here offences, because if you think about, like, missing the mark, it's effectively like, like breaking the speed limit. Think of it like that. So if you're driving along in your car and you go one kilometre over the speed limit, then you've broke the speed limit. So that's considered like an offence, okay? Sin is a little bit like that. When we, when we don't meet God's standard, we've, we've offended God. We've, we've, we've made an offence against God. And whether we do the wrong thing or make a wrong choice and it affects maybe your spouse or maybe a friend or family member or work colleague, whoever it is, while you think it might be isolated to that relationship, we're all actually accountable to God because we're all created by God and we're all answerable to God because He's our Heavenly Father and we were created to be His children. So we've got to remember that everything is against, all sin is against God when we sin, okay? So... What we, what we tend to do is, as the human nature is, we tend to try and downplay sin. We say, well, if I look at my life, I'm a pretty good person compared to that person um, in prison or, you know, my, that person who, my neighbour or whoever it is, we tend to compare ourselves between ourselves. Um, but... Our, our attitude completely shifts when we look at ourselves and then look at a holy God, a perfect, righteous, holy God, and we see our sin for what it is. There's many scriptures I could talk about this, but I'll just mention a couple. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10, as is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Isaiah 64, verse 6, but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. Now, I've just put a few words up there, poor, needy, lacking, unworthy, unclean, broken, lost. They're some of the feelings that you've maybe experienced in your life. Um, certainly some of those I can relate to, lost, broken, um, in the lead up to when I met Jesus, I was a lost soul. I was seeking fulfillment, purpose in many different things in my early 20s. Particularly, I went on a bit of a journey, but I was trying to fill my life with lots of different pleasures and things of the world to try and fill this void, this, this emptiness inside me. And... I found that whatever I'd pour in, it would just not satisfy me. It would leave me still feeling empty. And I just decided that, you know, this can't be all there is to life. There must be more. There must be more to what I'm experiencing. And 
I felt needy and lacking because in myself I knew my character was flawed. I knew I wanted to change who, my character, but I didn't know how to do that. And so sin, the nature, sin nature will manifest in different ways for different people. Some people end up in addictions, other people be depressed. It can be lots of different ways, and I'm sure you have your own testimony, your own story, but there's a consistency about it in that we all have a need for a saviour. And I just want to touch on this quickly. I know this is not something we like to dwell on too much, but sin has to, there's, sin, there's a consequence for sin. And it's important we're aware of that, that it's not something we take lightly, but take it seriously. God is good, as we've heard. He's just. And if he's good and if he's just, he can't let offences be ignored. He can't just say, okay, my creation, my pe the people I made, they're doing the wrong thing. I'm just going to let it slide. He actually, if he's good, if he's just, then he actually has to judge sin. He has to let it be come to account. He's holy, so he can't tolerate sin in his presence. So one day there'll be a judgment for everyone and there'll be two, two outcomes. There'll be either a separation, eternal separation that'll take place or an eternal union, an eternal relationship and there's no in-between. Okay, so it's really make sure you understand that, that there's, one, there's two options, two, out, two outcomes from this judgment that will happen. So to understand why Jesus came, and this is like a long build-up, I know, but it's important we understand sin because if we get given a cure for a disease without knowing the disease we administer the cure, we won't, we won't appreciate it, we won't understand it. So all I'm trying to do today is trying to build understanding for you, for why Jesus came. So to accept being saved by someone, usually a person will need to acknowledge, firstly, they have a problem they need saving from. Secondly, accept they can't save themselves. And thirdly, be willing or open to place trust in a saviour, or in this case, the saviour, capital S. And those three elements usually will have to play out, but maybe you can relate to some of those, particularly where you had a moment where you, each of those happened for you. But certainly acknowledging sin is uh, a good start, and that can then lead on to placing that trust in a saviour. Alright, let's turn to the good stuff. Who is Jesus? He's the son of God. He's the, as we saw in that video, God became a man and 
Yeah, he was born into the world. He, he came from eternal glory with his, where he was with his father and he became, humbled himself, became a baby. Like, it's amazing that God would become a baby like a, and that completely vulnerable, tiny little child would, would, would eventually rescue and save the world. He was born to be a saviour. His name, Jesus, means, as we heard, the rescuer or the deliverer. Also translated Yeshua. And in John 3.17 we read, Jesus came into the world not to condemn, judge, but to enable people to receive salvation through himself. Now, as I was talking about judgment early before, this is where the amazing thing is that God has shown us great, great mercy in that he could have judged sin right at the beginning when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. He could have said, that's it. I'm, I'm finished with mankind. My relationship with them is done. But he didn't. He showed mercy and he pointed to a coming Messiah, a coming Saviour, which Paul will speak about next week. But that mercy that he showed is effectively not getting what we deserve. It's an opportunity to turn to God. It's an opportunity to turn from sin and to seek him to be once more in a relationship. So every day you wake up, Remember, it's a day of mercy. Why did he come? There's no probably verse, I think, that sums it up better than probably the most famous verse in all of Scripture. John 3, verse 16. And many of the kids could uh, quote it, I'm sure, because they learnt it in chaos. Um, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son... So two things to come out from that passage. God was motivated by love. He loved the world. He loved his creation. He loved you. He loved me. He loved everyone. He saw in us immense value and a people worth restoring. He wanted to restore us back to him. He gave his one and only son. Now, this is the greatest gift of all, by far, that God would give of himself to us. And this is grace, this is amazing grace, that God gave his son. And this is what Christmas is about, that God sent his son as a gift as to give of himself to save us, even as far as dying on a cross. Colossians 1 verse 20 says, He, God, made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Jesus Christ's blood on the cross. That word made peace there effectively means he made the way for all things to be restored to him, restored relationship. If you've ever wronged someone, you have this feeling in your heart, it's really like that sick feeling. 
where you know, I need to do something about this. I need to apologize. I need to ask for forgiveness. God made a way for that reconciliation. So he took the initiative. He took the initiative. He sent Jesus to die on the cross in our place. He took the punishment that you and I deserve for sin, took him upon himself and he shed his blood as payment, as atonement for the sins of the world. He paid for all the offences we've ever committed, past, present, future, all paid for, all dealt with, finished for eternity. Enabling renewed relationship with his creation. And then, sorry, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If anyone's had milk in the fridge, they'll know that it starts to go off after a few days and it smells bad and there's no good use for it after that. That's effectively what perishing means. Sin is like off milk. It's corrupted. It's no good. It's got no use. In our sinful state, we are like a perishing, corrupted, off milk. There's no use for us anymore. But God has redeemed us. He's purchased us. He's paid the price for sin. He's made a way for us to be born again, to be forgiven of sin and have it wiped clean remove far as the east is from the west and have eternal life in his presence. So just to summarize, what does it mean to be in relationship with Jesus? Those are the things I've already touched on before that Adam and Eve had. Effectively, God has done a, an amazing work, an amazing love that he's shown us to restore us back in a relationship with him the way he intended it from the beginning and we've covered off this question of why Jesus came but I encourage you just to close ask yourself this and this is really important because it's all very well to know why Jesus came but as Dennis shared earlier have, have we come to Jesus? Have, ask yourself, have I come to Jesus? Do I know him as my saviour? If the answer is no or you're not sure, today is the day you can know that you're saved. Today is the day you can be forgiven for all sins. And today is the day of salvation. God has done his part. He's done everything that's needed. Now it's just up to you and I to respond to that invitation to restore that relationship. So please consider this and talk to someone or talk to God in your own time. And after receiving God's grace and forgiveness, your life will never be the same. Amen. Thank you.